One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. England T20 World Cup winner Alex Hales has uh, announced his retirement from international cricket. Uh, we'll chat about uh, when it's the right time to call it a day. The Durham batter David Beddingham joins us to reflect on his 52 ball century against Sussex in uh, the One Day Cup. We'll ask him about his ambitions to play for South Africa. And speaking of South Africa, former Proteus spinner Paul Harris joins us to discuss what could potentially be a South African D-team playing test cricket in New Zealand early next year. And we'll discuss any other business as we debate if the One Day Cup should feature associate players and there's more fallout to the infamous ball change in the final Ashes test. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Army, uh, the retirements, I wouldn't say they're coming thick and fast, but uh, Alex Hales has uh, called it a day. Obviously, there are a lot of people expecting him to to try and push for a place in the World Cup squad, but uh, he's decided at the age of 34 um, that uh, he's going to play on, obviously, in T20 cricket leagues around the world. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays for another five or six years, to be honest. I can still see him playing domestic T20 cricket till the age of 40. Yeah, I, I was no surprise at all. From the uh, retirement, uh, the amount of international cricket he he does play, but he seriously talented player. Will people look back at him? I don't think Alex will mind if anybody says that he did he fulfil everything that he potentially could. I remember seeing him in I think 2010 or 2011 for the first time, and I was like, "Wow, this kid! Wow, what a player this kid's going to be!" You know, I've stand there like like Peterson, tall, you know, hit the ball on top of the bounce. Defensively, he was quite solid um, when I first seen him play for Knots. And I remember doing uh, doing some work for, for TV through the night in one of the series. And I said, I've just played against, I, I come on, I played against him, I watched him, I can't remember how I'd seen him. And I was like, I, this kid is, is just so impressed me, really has. His stature at the crease and the way, he, the way he plays. So to play, only play 11 test matches, I think he was better than that. I think his, his talent was better than that. Devastating in one day cricket. 20 over cricket and became that gun for hire. Uh, he obviously had a few few off-field troubles, um, but he come back and he won the, a World Cup for England. So, you know, good for him on that, good for him on a, on, a, on, a, on a decent career with England, one that possibly, people might say, could have been a lot more because for me, the talent that Alex Hills has got, I think 11 test matches, I think he, he probably should have played a lot more because I still think he was one of our shining lights in them at the sort of 2010 to 2020 
in them early parts of them years as an opening batter when England couldn't find an opening batter for love and the money. What they would, what he's got, very much similar to what Zach Crawley's got. Um, he'll probably say I wasn't given a chance. I, I, we can't argue with that. But some of the off-field stuff obviously hasn't helped him on selection throughout his career. But as talent goes, I think he's one of the most exciting, talented young players that I've seen coming to the English game. And, and he won a World Cup, so he will say he had a, a stellar career. I think a lot of people um, found him quite difficult to warm to, Army. And I, I must say, um, you mentioned uh, chess matches. I watched an interview that Michael Atherton did with him um, uh, for Sky, in which he said that he, if he could roll the clock back, uh, roll the years back, he would do a Will Smead and not play red ball cricket, just fully commit to white ball cricket. And, you know, talking of warming, that that's the kind of thing that just makes yeah. my blood turn cold. Yeah, I, that's that just tells you everything. Uh, it really does. And for me, the talent that that boy had, he could have played a lot of test matches and still played a hell of a lot of one day and T20 internationals, if not more. And, and you know, forget the Will Smeads going and just playing solely on white ball cricket. I think Alex Hills had talent to play you know, more than 50 test matches and be a real powerhouse in, in test match cricket because I think he had the talent. Did he have the, the desire, the, the know-how, the brain cells to, to forge a career that covers all formats? Um, because yeah, he might he's made a few quid. Good good luck to him. But I think in 25, 30 years' time, people could have been talking about Alex Hills as one of England's best multi-format players. Um, I'm not sure they're going to do that with 11 test matches. OK, uh, I want to talk to you about um, the ball change and also overrate fines which England and Australia have incurred 19 points for England, 10 points for Australia. That also makes my blood boil. That is absolutely fundamentally ridiculous and it undermines the World Test Championship. So just chew on that in your, in your mind for a couple of minutes, because on the subject of retirement, can you can you sum it up? I know you, you've been very succinct about your own experience. You know, you just sort of woke up one morning and you knew that it, the time was right. But this sort of levels of retirement, you know, like when Stuart Broad came out at the Oval on day three, he said, this is my last game of cricket. Mm. Like, it seems to be uh, those who retire gradually, and I'm thinking of Sir Alistair Cook. I mean, five years ago, he retired from international cricket. He's still playing for Essex. You know, there are th- some who just like put their cricket career into a box, into a safe, lock it, and that's it. <laughs> like, they just won't even play a charity game. And there are others, and I guess Alex Hales, like I said, he'll keep playing. Why, why, is, why is Sir Alistair Cook still playing? I think the love of the game. You, you love the game. You really do. I think the, I think the international game broke Sir Alistair. What he had to go through when the whole Peterson saga, he has to go out there every single week and do a press conference. And at least three, three out of ten questions are about Kevin Peterson. And it's like, well surely somebody above has got to take responsibility here and say, well, this is the reason we're not coming back. Look at leadership, Owen Morgan, right? Owen Morgan's leadership over Alex Hills, not coming back. That's it. Bang, lost our trust. Well, that's it. He is not. Where they kept the door open for Kevin and they kept asking questions and and it was all on Cook and it was Cook this and Cook that. Piers Morgan got involved and Kev's PR team was, was absolutely brilliant. And I think that, that for the length of time it did and the amount of stuff that Sir Alistair had on his plate, 
I can see why he just said, I've had enough of this. I just want to go and enjoy playing cricket. So that's why he's still playing, because he still loves the gear. Uh, I've seen him at the Oval and for sort of 20 minutes, half an hour, and he still talks about the game as affectionately as he's, as he's ever done. I just think that the captaincy broke him a little, uh, a little bit. I, 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 would, I would say I just give up. I really give up wanting to try and be better, wanting to try and get fitter. I had a hamstring injury and I just let, that's it. I've had enough. The international one, I went back and played for Durham. That was the worst thing I ever did. First time in my career I ever played for money. And that I, I'm always honest talking about that. I played for four years at Durham. And it's the only time in my career I ever played for money. And it was just, I've got four kids at home. I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got to make sure that I'm providing. I still love the game. And actually, I, through that, I possibly didn't love the game as much as I thought I did. By the end of it, I resented the game. And you know, I've seen it as a job. And it was the first time I'd ever done that throughout my sort of 18 years. I always played for the love of the game. I got paid for it because I was good at it. But for, for the last part of the Durham, when I walked off for England, that was that it just wasn't there anymore. The, the love of the game wasn't there anymore. So there are people like Mark Butcher who he will not play a charity game, just refuses to pick a battle. You know, I'll, I'll stand the field, but I'll, I won't bowl. And there are people who just love the game so much. But sometimes in that game, it gets broken. Paul Collingwood, one of the reasons why I didn't play for as much for Durham by the end, me and Paul had a, had a disagreement and a fall now. One of our many, to be fair. But look at Paul. Paul, you know, captain England of a World Cup final. Had a fantastic career as ODI captain and playing in the test matches. But he just loved the game. And he walked straight into a coaching role and he's still travelling now. Played till he was 41, 42. Some people just love the game and can get a bit of luck and injury free. So it's not as easy as just walking away and saying, I'm done. You've got to have a pathway to find something next. Um, and some people just think playing cricket is is a lot easier than finding a job in civilian life. Okay. The overrate fines infuriate me, Harmi, mm. because of the potential ramifications. By undermining and demeaning the World Test Championship, and I think that's what this does, if England don't reach the World Test Championship final, because of these 19 points they've been deducted, or Australia, 10 points, then the two of the biggest, two of the big three might just be inclined to walk away and go, well, this is a Mickey Mouse competition. You know, honestly, you're taking 19 points off us after, yeah. after a series like that. And then the ramifications for the rest of the test playing world, if England and Australia say, well, this is Mickey Mouse, seriously, you know, I mean, Stuart Broad said that it undermines the World Test Championship. That's why it infuriates me. And I'm going to come to you in 30 seconds because I want just 30 seconds on the ball change. 37 overs old at the Oval. You see the picture of the of the ball that was replaced and the, <laughs> the virtually brand new one that was its replacement. Is there an innocent explanation? No, really, no. I've got no nothing for you on that ball. I really haven't. I spoke to Mark Wood about it and he just he started laughing. It literally was the one from literally the dog's been chewing it to the brand new ball. And as much as I want to wind the Aussies up and you know, have a go at Ricky Ponton, I've got no argument. I really can't find an argument for the other side that how it's come about. And a lot of people, are, you know, the guy from you know the manufacturers is saying he's going to have a look at things. And you can look at the balls because the balls have been a little bit substandard and there have been a lot of ball changes over the course of the last 
couple of years. So you can have a look at the manufacturers for that. But this, for me, is all in the umpires. What on earth were you thinking? But when you seen the ball back, the, the ball box again, it was it was a, a clutter, wasn't it? It was just enough. There was no sort of formula of 0 to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. It was just, well, there's 15 balls, just pick one and we'll get, let's get going. And my old mayor, Hoggy, Matthew Hoggard, you know, we used to, we used to wind the fourth umpire when he used to come in. Who's picking the ball? And we'd go, Hoggard, he swings it, just basically because we know what he's going to say. And he'd shout at you know, one of the, the, the sort of junior umpires. Yeah, you'll see it. They're all red, they're all round, and they've all got a seam on them. You pick one. And you can see like the fourth umpire's faces to go, is he is he for real? Is he mad? But he had a point. Especially the, the cooker brothers, they're, they're not hand handmade, they're they're manufactured in a different way. So they're all in theory the same. So look, I thought the I thought the ball incident was on the umpires. And I'm gonna bag the ICC here because I think the, the umpires have got to get better at getting them around. Yeah, you know, if 90 overs is to be bowled, just bowl them. 30 overs, lunch. 30 overs, tea. 30 overs, end of play. That's it. And they'll, they, you know, it might upset the, the TV companies because of getting the sort of adverts and getting everything in place to to, uh, to broadcast the, the you know, six and a half hours of, of test match cricket. But if all of a sudden, if you're not if you're not coming off the field at two o'clock because you've, you haven't bowled your overs in time, the players will soon get on with it. The umpires will soon get on with it. The game will quicken up because of that. So for me, it's, it's Mickey Mouse. Ten points and nineteen points. You just, yeah, you're right. You're valuing the competition. Um, and I tell you one thing: ICC will be absolutely devastated if Australia, England, or India, like you say, the big three, miss out. And the World Test Championship final is, is South Africa, New Zealand, because they keep finding these these teams that play more test cricket. So the ones that play more test cricket, there's a potential of them losing more points because they get fined because the players are always going to have slow over it. So it's a little bit more than your 30-second manners, but it was a good rant getting off my chest. (laughs) (laughs) I knew we'd we'd be thinking along the same lines. England England could have got more points if they'd lost the Ashes Um, 4-1. It's just just, bonkers. Anyway, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. To Durham that we go now. We're joined, as promised, by David Beddingham. Um, who <laughs> I, it makes me laugh. Sorry, I think it's quite ironic that the hundred is uh, going on at the moment, and David Beddingham didn't get a contract, and he's just scored a fifty-two ball hundred in, in the in the One Day Cup. David, um, tremendous, fantastic innings, record total for Durham, huge uh, victory over over Sussex in the One Day Cup. I have to say, everything seems to be going in the right direction at Durham at the moment, and for you as well as Alex Lees and so many other players. Yeah, I think I think it's been like a a new start for us. I think um, Cambo's come in and had a different ideas, I'd say. But um, for the majority slash the whole squad, I think it's been a good start, and hopefully we can end well um, and do and have a decent run in the one day comp. David, about Ryan Campbell, um, because you look at Durham position in the league in this uh, fifty over competition. There has been a big difference. The, the huge change in sort of outlook of the way the game is played. Is, is it as simple as just one simple thing's changed or has there been players being back fit, picking up, you know, obviously their form's a lot better. Is it easy to say it's just been a different outlook by by a man at the top? Well, I think I, I think it has helped having Potsy and Cass most most of the season because I think last year, I think 
especially in Red Bull stuff, I think we played pretty well. I just don't think we got 20 wickets. And this year, I think there's been obviously a big change. Um, we've been able to take 20 wickets uh, most of the time. And I think having guys like Potts um, and Cars back for, for almost every game has played a big part in that. Because I think last year, I think Potts played, I think, eight games. And Cars maybe only played two. Um, and I think taking 20 wickets is quite tough. And with those guys, it's made a lot easier. I mentioned the fact that uh, you scored this 52-ball 100 and you're not a part of the 100. Was there a certain a part of you that was, well, I don't know, looking to make a point? No, no, I think I, I, think, um, I played in the blast last year and I think I struggled. Um, and I ha- haven't played a lot of T20 cricket over the last two years because of injuries and just not being picked. Um, so, I mean, it was just nice, nice to play at uh, Bryce. I mean, the wicket was unbelievable. And the ground, very, very small. So um, I think that helped um, big time as well. And how have you found the, the one-day cup? Because the last couple of years, people have used it as a, basically a, a second-team competition, give young lads and blood, blood young players. Uh, but Durham aren't the only ones that are playing proper sides, sides with experienced players playing in. Um, do you think that's better and, and it, it helps uh, some of the young players that are coming in because of the experienced players that are also playing in the side? Yeah, well, I think I, I think um, I I didn't play in last year's comp, but in, in 2021 it was definitely uh, more youngsters being played and not um, senior players. Where I think this year the first two games I think we've basically played against a full strength um, Worcester side and a full strength Sussex side. Um, so yeah, I think it's been good so far. Um, I think I, I think a lot of the massive counties have probably been hit worse than let's say Worcester. Uh, Durham and um, Club Morgan and team teams like that, but I think, I mean, the standard I, I think's been been okay. I just think uh, maybe playing at Sussex it's so small, and yeah, I think that played a massive um, advantage. David, in a couple of minutes' time, we're going to be speaking to the South African former spinner Paul Harris about what is a, a potentially a looming crisis for the South African Test team. They got two Test matches in New Zealand in February next year. I don't know whether you're aware of this story, um, which clashes with um, their shiny new SA20 competition. It means that almost 60 players will be unavailable for the test team. So come the new year, they might be looking around for some test players. (laughs) Would you be interested? I'd be very happy to um, travel to New Zealand and hopefully get a shot in playing some test cricket. Um, I think that's always been my dream to play at the highest level. So if they came calling, I'd definitely not turn it down. You were, uh, oh, I suppose technically you are still available because at one point you uh, committed yourself to qualifying for England, but you've refocused on on South Africa now. Is that right? Yeah, well, I think I think I looked looked at it and I think that I can get a passport for England in the next three three years, and I just think well, I'm playing my best stuff. Hopefully from the age of 28 to 31, I want to be able to play test cricket now. So trying to make it for England or trying to do my days in England was almost quite frustrating that even if I scored 10,000 runs from now until 2025, I I, I can only play county stuff. So that's why I just thought, let's let's just try stay in South Africa, basically, yeah. Yeah, that'd be, I think, music to a lot of people's ears, especially Dean... Dean Elgar's years, and you, you talk about having international ambitions, and you know you look 
very at home in, in England. Um, you remind me a hell of a lot of a player I used to play with, Dale Benkenstein, who who came over and, and captain and led Durham unbelievably well. But if their international aspirations are there and they, they do come, materialise, come sort of February next year, because I think South Africa will be mad not to pick you, the way you, the way you score and run. <laughs> How would you find the balance of, of that? Because it looks as though you're, you're so at home at Durham. But obviously when when your home country comes calling, it's it's desperate and you've got to want to go. Well, I think I, I think I've I've looked at the South African Test schedule, and if I did get picked, I think next summer I think I only miss I think August with Durham, and I think August now is basically a one day comp, so I don't think it would be a, a, like a massive train smash because I think I like playing one day cricket, I like playing T Twenty, and I like playing first class stuff for Durham. But if I had to give up one, I think it would be the one day cup and try play as many first class games for. Durham as I can so I think I mean the schedule especially for South Africa having SA20 is a lot less I think we only play I think six to eight tests a year which I think is very little and I think we should should play more but that's just how how it is so hopefully it doesn't interrupt Durham as much as it could I think. And just finally for me with the the global game not just heading in the direction of T20 it's headed. It's 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 past tense now. I mean, you know, the whole the whole global game, domestic leagues um, around the world, um, the squeezing of the future tours program. Talk about uh, one day cricket in general being um, under pressure. Do you feel under pressure to kind of turn yourself into more of a T Twenty player just to just to keep up and make sure you still got a gig? Well, yeah, um, I think it's quite quite cool to play in those comps because because you play with superstars because I think at the SA20 um, each team has like five five to six massive names um, in the 100 each team has five to six massive names so, so like just the opportunity you get to play with massive stars and on a big stage is quite cool but I still think the the best thing, thing to play is test cricket I think it tests you more than anything else so um, I think it would be, be nice to get in those comps but I think the main thing for me is to hopefully play test cricket one day you mentioned you want to play test cricket one day, but you look around the dressing room at Durham and you could could easily look around and go, if if England plays South Africa in the next three years, you could be playing against the likes of, you look at Potts, Carts, Wood, Robinson, who's smashing yeah. it at the minute, then Stokes. You're going, wow, I've played played in this dress, played this dressing room and played with these excellent players to go and play against them in test cricket. Well, at least you'll know a lot about them anyway. But what's it like to play in that dressing room at this minute in time because of the amount of you know potential superstars that you know Durham keep producing and keep keep making into into international players? Well, I think firstly, if I had had to play against them, I'd definitely be very nice to cast wood and pots uh, <laughs> um, because because they've all quite quite quickly. But I think it's amazing. I think sharing the dressing room with guys that are obviously talented and hard working and stuff like that but it's just it's just especially this year the way that we've been playing and the way that those guys have been playing I mean Cars is I think especially with with the bat this year is, is smacking it Potts is still bowling well Stokes and Wood haven't been around much but I mean it's just it's just the way that they're playing the actual game is like very um, refreshing and quite fun fun to watch and finally um, ambitions for the rest of uh, the season I mean I think are you are you as good as promoted? Can you be caught? Well, I don't want to 
touch and I, I I think we if if we carry on playing the way we're playing, I think we'll be fine. Um but it's not done yet. I think we are 40 points clear of Worcester uh, with three games left. So I think if we didn't manage to win it, I think we'd be very <laughs> disappointed. But I think str- strange, stranger things have happened that can rain, we can have a bad spell, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I'm very confident in our team and, and stuff like that, yeah. Not many stranger things have happened. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're up. Yeah. No, I think it's so, yeah. more, well, you, you've won five games, but more... You've won five games. I think Worcester have won four games. And the other six teams, or the other seven teams, six teams, I think it is, they haven't won five games between them. So I think you're up. Yeah, well, <laughs> touch wood, but I hope so, yeah. David Beddingham, enjoy the rest of the season. Um, congratulations Thanks, on that 100. And uh, we look forward to lots more runs. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was uh, Durham batter David Beddingham. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former Durham and Highfelt Lions fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, we'll be joined by former South African spinner Paul Harris to look back at how the SA20 retentions would impact South Africa's test tour of New Zealand in early 2024. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say that we are joined now, as promised at the top of the show, by former South African spinner Paul Harris to talk about what I think, anyway, is a a looming crisis for particularly Test cricket in South Africa. And I think, by extension, to the format itself on a global level. Now, it's ironic that South Africa have got a tour of Australia um, or tour by Australia about to start and then there's a World Cup, and then there's a, a series against India, which keeps South Africa 
financially afloat for a couple of years. So that we're talking about this crisis, which is looming in February next year. Now, the reason that we've asked Paul to talk about it, he's like like many South African cricketers, he made his name and his very fine reputation in test cricket, um, 37 test matches over 100 wickets, and some of the best days of your life, I would think, Paul. For those who don't know, the vast majority of South Africa's domestic cricketers are contractually bound to play in the SA20. That overlaps with the test matches in New Zealand, which rules out approximately 58 players from selection. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any possible resolution to this overlap other than for South Africa to send what effectively would be a D team with the greatest of respect to Dean Elgar. He's like the only frontline test cricketer who doesn't have a contract in the SA20. New Zealand can't budge. They've organised their home summer. Cricket South Africa accepted the fixtures and Cricket South Africa cannot forfeit the test matches because they will then be financially liable. It just seems like they really are going to have to send what is effectively a D team. Yeah, look, I think it goes a bit deeper. I think you've got to look at it, um, sort of take a few steps back. And it starts off with the sort of future tours program in general um, and the amount of test cricket that was assigned to South African cricket, which is uh, pretty substandard, if you ask me. And that also has a piece to play in this whole uh, this whole debacle. It's not just an effect of, of having to send a D team. There's a reason, there's a reason why it's led up to this. Um, I'll tackle the sort of second one first. Uh, which they sort of go in hand in hand, is effectively we all agree, I think most cricketers agree that test cricket is the pinnacle of the game. And I think that the recent test series between Australia and England has uh, once again, I think it's been a great advert for the game. Um, you know, it was uh, it was compelling cricket. Both teams played incredibly well. I didn't really buy into this whole new uh, English version or English brand. I think they've sort of swung me a bit more in this series. Um, you know, batting it consistently five and over against a very good Australian bowling attack. I thought England were incredibly unlucky not to win that series. You know, some poor decision-making maybe in execution in those first two test matches. Um, uh, barring that, I think it could have easily been a 3-1 win for England. But beside the point. Um, I think that Savering Cricket have been given the raw deal in terms of how many test matches they play in the next sort of uh, cycle. Um, and the fact that they have uh, coupled that with uh, not getting much of the revenue, they've got to try and sort of piece together a revenue model that actually makes sense. You're 100% correct in saying playing India is the main model to increase revenue. But the others is a, is a, is a, is a T20 tournament. We've seen that around the world. Uh, I think Graham Smith probably deserves to be knighted or whatever our version of that is in South Africa for the way he did it last year. Um, you know, the success of the tournament was incredibly, uh, it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. And I mean, for the first time since, I don't want to say in my day, but it's the truth, uh, we actually saw full grounds and uh, people fighting for tickets to get into domestic cricket in South Africa, which is incredible to see. Now, the question is, how do you marry the two, right? It's a difficult one. I think Cricket South Africa need the money. So SA20 has to be played. Uh, where do you fit it in? Uh, very difficult to find a spot in the calendar to actually fit a tournament in. Um, and then you know you've still got a, a, a tour that you have uh, that you have committed to, uh, which is against New Zealand, which is a Test series. I would personally not have put it over Test cricket time. I would have found a different time. Maybe miss a few one days or send a you know a substandard team to go play some T20 somewhere if there was a gap. I'm not acquainted uh, too much with the uh, with the, the actual program and where they could have could have fitted in, 
but certainly you don't want test cricket to be uh, taking a dive. Uh, I think that, as I said before, it, your, your cricketers are only as good as your test cricketers. You look at the England white ball team, very good team as well. You look at the Australian white ball team, you look at the Indian white ball team. They're all good teams, but they're also good test teams. And I think that's where, you know, your first class cricket and your test cricket sort of sets the benchmark to where your cricket's going to be in the country. So disappointing uh, that it has gone over this. I understand why it's happened because of the, it's a financial decision. It has to be. I mean, you've got to play the SA20 after last year. It has to happen. And uh, Cricket South Africa have turned around and said, okay, well, you know, we find this, our financial stability more important than two test matches in New Zealand. And uh, we will uh, schedule over that time. I still think there might be a bit of water going under this bridge before uh, February next year. We might see dates change and things move around. But as it stands right now, it's incredibly disappointing that you've got two test matches when we're hardly playing any in the next three to five years that are going to be affected by a T20 tournament. Well, do you think that players can get involved in this? And I know their players will say, well, we get paid a hell of a lot more for the SA20, but the proper test cricketers, like you've mentioned before, want to play test cricket. Do you think the players might you know, go to the South African cricket board and say, can we have some wriggle room? Can we move? You know, can we do something about this? Because... I personally, as a test cricketer, would, would don't want to miss too many test matches. Uh, so do you think the players have got on the final say on this? Or do you think it's just, no, administrators have gone, no, this has gone too far. We've got to have this tournament. You players have got to play in it because of the financial model that's in place. We can't not have our big test players playing effectively. Do you think the players can say, it's on my career this, and I want to play test cricket? Look, I think yes and no. I think your real, really senior ones could. Um, have a have a say and uh, and put some pressure on Cricket South Africa to uh, to change the dates for the SA20. I think you're sort of the 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 first class cricketers would want this to happen no matter what because uh, you know we get paid in rands generally here in SA in in in, in domestic cricket and it's just, it's pretty life changing what's happened in for some of the you know the the, the sort of first class cricketers only in SA. Um, to your point, I think that they should find different dates for it. I think that the senior mm-hmm. players should stand up and say, guys, come on. We're only playing X amount of test matches. I think it's only five test matches or this year. It's only going to be, I think, four or five test matches in the year. I mean, it's ridiculous. You should be playing between 10 and 12 test matches in a year on average across your career. So, yes, I agree with you. I think certain senior players should stand up and say, guys, this is not, this, this just can't happen. I think that some past players should stand up as well. We all know how difficult it was to get a test cap. And now, effectively, you're going to be handing test caps to guys that don't deserve it because of a T20 tournament. Uh, you know, I think South African cricket is sacred. Um, and you shouldn't be handing out test caps. Uh, so uh, I totally agree with you. I think that the, they should stand up, whether they will or not. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it happening. I don't see uh, maybe Dean Algamite. He's probably the one that has the balls to do it. Um, I don't see any of the other senior guys really having the the balls to actually stand up and say, "Guys, this is wrong." Well, Dean can because he doesn't have an SA twenty contract. Um, you know, and as you say, he's, he's got sure. the character. You see, sure. my my problem, Paul, is that when I say that. It's a, a looming crisis. See, England and Australia have the ashes. And two or three years ago, I said, well, they can't exist in isolation. Well, I think they possibly can, you know. I mean, I, Ben Stokes said that this ashes series gave Test cricket a shot in the arm. Well, I don't think it... <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that Test cricket was uh, was in trouble. Um, the ashes with, you know, sold out grounds for five days and <laughs> five Test matches... It's in trouble everywhere else. South Africa and the other nations, the small seven, need the World Test Championship. They need it to be strong and credible. It's the only way that the game is going to survive. As you said, 
South Africa only have two test match series, but you know, that's it. They've got 12 test matches in the next two years. You played 37 tests. It's going to take the current generation seven or eight years to play 37 test matches um, in the current format. And the other nations are trying their best to fit in their test matches, to give the World Test Championship its due, to keep it strong, to keep test cricket relevant. And when if they look at Cricket South Africa and say, well, if that's your attitude, then it's going to make life a lot easier for ev- for all of us if if you just don't bother. We just w- we won't bother playing you because if that's the way you're going to treat it, and and you know it could be the end of Test cricket in South Africa. I know it sounds dramatic, but I can see it happening. I can picture it. I think I agree with you. I think it could, but I think it goes one step further. The fact that the ICC in the Future Tours program only gave South Africa a certain amount of Test matches in the in, you know in the next cycle uh, um, is part of the problem. If Test cricket in South Africa needs to be taken seriously, the ICC must take it seriously. You can't have, you know, Test Championship, England, Australia and India playing, you know, over the time, 30 Test matches and South Africa playing 12. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword um, where you've got a T20 tournament that has to happen. You've got a future, future tour program that doesn't actually include uh, one of the strongest cricket teams uh, in history uh, by quite some distance. Uh, you know, I, mean, I think that certainly in the top three or four uh, test nations over the last uh, sort of 20 years, um, that has been excluded. So I think the ICC had to take a lot of criticism for the way that handled uh, test cricket in South Africa. Yes, having said that, they could always turn around and say, yeah, but the little test matches you get, you're not taking seriously. The problem comes in is if you're not playing test cricket or cricket in general against the big nations, you're not making any money. And Cricket South Africa won't see, will cease to exist if they don't have any money in three years' time. So um, it, I understand the, re, the the reasonings for Cricket South Africa doing what they're doing. Do I agree with it? No. I think they should find another time to do it. Um, I've got a sort of general feeling about ODI cricket in general. I don't think it should be there. Uh, it's boring. I mean, I can think of nothing worse than watching ODI. It's like watching paint dry. Um, so I think ODI cricket should fall away and T20 cricket should be your sort of revenue generator and test cricket should be put in the pedestal that it deserves. Um, I think that you know, having three formats of the game is archaic and, uh, and it's, you know, I think it's the main reason why it's causing these problems because you're trying to fit three formats into a uh, calendar year, which is impossible. Wow. We should get you on for a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a larger discussion, I think. I don't think it's just a, you know, because Africa have decided now all of a sudden they're going to, you know, say stuff you to the rest of uh, the, the, the cricketing world and try and dilute a test series. I think that they really, really are struggling to find ways to, you know, bring money in. And their main way of bringing money in at the moment is playing India uh, and uh, and the T20 tournament. So they've got a let's 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 say for example, you say in a year you have to play India and you have to do your T20 tournament. The rest is going to come second and third. Um, it's and if you can find ways and and if the ICC understand this. And Cricket South Africa understand this. You can find ways of making your future tourist program more palatable so that, uh, you know, that money's made, first of all, and that the right amount of cricket is being played. How do you think South Africa would feel if the shoe was on the other foot, if it was New Zealand that was sending a, a D team or an E team to, to South Africa with a state of cricket on the tips sort of finely balanced in, in Cricket South Africa? Probably the same as what New Zealand feel. So, I mean, I get the New Zealand side as well. Is that no, guys, sorry. We've also got our uh, our issues to worry about. We've, we, you guys agreed to this. This was uh, set in stone. Um, sorry, we're not moving the dates. I mean, I would have done the same thing. Actually, the T20 tournament has to move, and we should take the knock somewhere else. Uh, there should be some ODI cricket, for example, that is missed, not test cricket. 
Um, but unfortunately, you probably make even you probably make a little bit more money out of ODI cricket than you do out of Test cricket. So, uh, is it a monetary decision? I think one hundred percent. I understand why New Zealand are upset. I would also be, but I think they could be in a similar position to what South Africa are. I mean, you know, they're not getting as much test, test cricket as, as they deserve. They've got to find ways to uh, to generate uh, to generate revenue uh, to keep cricket alive in their country. So, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, we've got to put it. You got you got to put put the whole story into perspective. If New Zealand had their own T Twenty tournament and it was crossing a South African Test series and they weren't sending players here, their best players here, I would understand why, but I'd be pretty pretty upset about it. So I get both sides. Paul Harris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. You've given us plenty of food for thought. We'll have to uh, revisit this nearer the time, see how things transpire. But at the moment, as I said, it doesn't seem to be resolvable. But thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Cheers. That was former South African left-arm spinner Paul Harris. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. Let's uh, talk about the one-day cup, Harmy. I couldn't help noticing that um, you've always advocated associate nations actually playing their teams in the one day cup. And I think it's a brilliant idea, but we're, we're sort of gradually incrementally getting closer with Curtis Kampfer as a really good signing, I think for Somerset, Harry Tector signing for Gloucestershire. So the individuals are getting involved. I uh, would love to see Ireland and Scotland playing in that tournament and the Netherlands. Yeah, I would as well. And it's good to see the players getting recognised, but we can improve the, the cricket in this region by, I think, doing something meaningful with Ireland, Scotland, the Netherlands. And I think, for me, we always we always try and get less. So Andrew Strauss's report wanted, you know, less games, you know, the 100 less teams, which, to be fair, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I've actually quite enjoyed watching the 100 in the last, in the last few games because this year they've been tighter, which have been really good. Uh, I still don't like the format, but... The actual the actual games themselves were have been a lot better this year than they were last year because last year I don't think they'd realise that I don't think people knew how to, how was playing it and they were so one sided it was it was boring after a while but this year there's been some really good tight games and I love cricket so I've been watching it but the Associated Nations for me when I when I look at it if, if you want less you can go more which is bring Ireland bring Scotland bring the Netherlands in and have three pool if you have twenty one teams. You have three pools of seven with six games. And I think that would make it better if you went six games of 50 over competition because I know you're only losing three games, but that's that's a lot of cricket when it comes to the sort of build-up time and everything that goes with it. So you could have Ireland, Scotland and, and the Netherlands in uh, pools A, B and C with six other first-class counties. And I think you, you play six games and I think that will help Ireland. It will help them and it'll help... I think it'll help cricket in, in England as well in the long run because you no matter what, what happens, if a player from Ireland or Scotland becomes very, very good at cricket, he'll play for England. We've seen it. Owen Morgan did it. You know, Ed Joyce has done it. And there's countless number of, of, of times more. And we, we, that will happen. So I think the more we can we can integrate with you know, the associate nations, especially in this region, I think the better it will be for, for English cricket. Now, I'm not sure you can do that with first-class cricket, but I, I definitely think you can do it for for the blast and for for the 50-over competition because you're, you're, you're playing a couple of games less, but you're bringing nations in, which obviously they'll take it probably more serious than some of our counties. But if you play only play six games, 
then the prospect of playing senior players and better teams and bringing the quality level up, I think it's more chance of that happening rather than, and if you condense it into a short space, then playing nine games over a month while the hundreds on, and then you're basically your senior players are going right. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a month off or at least three weeks off to get ready for the first class at the end of the season. So I think it would work if you brought the associated nations in. And the argument that it would be unfair on the counties because really. Uh, you would think Ireland and, and Scotland, all the Netherlands, all three. I mean, you, you would think that they would be, one of them should be winning it, really. You would hope they would be strong. You would hope that Ireland, Scotland, the Netherlands would have their full squads out and it would be their national team. We are giving you a branch to come into the game in the two of the three formats we've got. Now, you have to be as strong as you possibly can because we don't want to devalue the competition. And I think what happened then is some of their players will end up playing for counties in first-class cricket. Baz Delera does it for Durham, does it brilliantly for Durham. You know, we'll get one or two more that will, if they're playing white ball cricket against first-class counties and they're strong and they've you know, proven that this is the right decision and their, their, their pool of players are getting bigger and getting more, then all of a sudden their white ball players will be trying to get red ball contracts in English first-class cricket. But I think that, like I said before, there's, there's always a gem comes out of, you know, Ireland and Scotland every now and again, that England will take eventually and he'll probably make them their captain because he's, Owen Morgan's probably the best leader, that one of the best leaders we've ever had. He came from playing in, in, in Irish cricket. So I think there's got to be scope for a possibility of looking at it because for me, that gets more teams, but less games. And I think that's what ultimately, that's what we all want because we want the quality better rather than just churning out game after game after game. Okay, change of topic. Let's uh, talk IPL for a moment, shall we? Um, the Gujarat Titans franchise was bought for something like $750 million. They appointed Andy Flower as their head coach on a two-year contract. He won it in their first year and took them back to the final in their second year, um, at which point Gujarat Titans said, thank you very much, Andy, and appointed Justin Langer as head coach, which is bizarre. Um, not necessarily the appointment of Justin Langer, although that is a little peculiar. But Andy Flower was let go. <laughs> One day I'm going to get to the bottom of that. And uh, he's now been appointed by the world's most underperforming franchise anywhere, Royal Challengers Bangalore. It's really no, no pressure there then, Andy. Did you? I mean, he's won virtually everything. You know, for World Cups, couple of Ashes, ILT20, Abu Dhabi T10. The hundred as well, didn't he? Was, was he not? Oh, that's right. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, yeah, yeah the hundred as well. Incredible. So, yeah, he's um. There'll be a certain amount of expectation on his shoulders when he takes over at Royal Challengers. Yeah, it was a bizarre, a bizarre one. Obviously, he's a good man, and he's a fine, fine coach. Speaks of the game unbelievably well and simply as well. Very simple when it comes to his the way his approach is talking about the game in team environment. And the fortune of being coached by him for England. So I've got a lot of time for Andy Flower. And if there is a coach out there that can win a trophy for RCB, well, Andy Flower's CV is not bad. So, you know, fingers crossed and good luck to him because it just seems as though they get to the touch line or the finishing line and they keep tripping up just before they get into the uh, to the ticket tape parade. So fingers crossed for Andy and for RCB that this year could be the year where Virat Kohli eventually gets a chance to win the IPL. Very quickly, um, there's been a lot of speculation that George Scrimshaw, uh, just a matter of time before he left Derbyshire, unfortunately, 
the assumption was that he would go to uh, you know a, a test match ground one, one of the bigger counties but um what intrigued me was that he went to northampton um or he signed a three year three year contract with northamptonshire who you know, i've always described as the moneyball team of uh, the county circuit who um take the uh, the forgotten the lonely the unloved um but uh, that's a, that's a big signing for them it is. I think it's a big signing for them. <clears throat> the problem is it's keeping him on the park and fit. And fit George Scrimshaw is a very, very handy prospect to have in your bowling attack. And I thought Warwickshire might have gone and, gone and got him. I think Henry Brooks went to Derbyshire on loan. And I thought, I, I wonder if that was, it was a possibility of uh, opening a door for, well, we'll scratch yours if you scratch ours and we'll get Scrimshaw at the end of the season. Um, to see him go to Northampton, I'm not saying it's a gamble for Northampton because he's a quality performer, but it, it is a little bit when you think, are you going to pay somebody to be on the field more than in, in the treatment room? And you look at some of the signings of fast bowlers at a test playing grounds that can absorb the, the financial side of it because they've got a few quid. But in the little counties are signing big fast bowlers because of the money that they're on, where you know, George Grimshaw will, will, will earn a, a decent screw for... Um, for a smaller county, you want your money repaired. So <clears throat> from that point of view, I thought it was a, a little bit of a surprise that one of the big counties didn't come for him, but possibly the injury record that he's got, maybe that put them off. But no doubt whatsoever, this boy can bowl. It's just keeping him on the park. But how many times have we said that about every fast bowler England have produced over 85 miles an hour? Can't keep them fit. Okay, right, you've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, as always, now available um, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week where we'll hear exclusively from England's Sam Curran and Will Jacks. But for now, this has been The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 